Let's open the Word of God to the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter. John chapter 12, where we are dealing with three world-changing events prophesied by the Lord Jesus Christ in the final days and hours of his life. We are down to the last couple of days of his life and the remaining hours that he had in this world, and he prophesied of three world-changing events. And we want to love them, understand them, and fulfill them. I could begin reading at verse 20, where we have for weeks, but instead let me just read verses 31 through 36. The first words are the three events. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Amen and amen. amen. Three world-changing events and our response to them. And you are going to respond to them one way or another. I will respond one way or another. This audience did not respond well. They criticized the Lord Jesus Christ when he had just given them precious doctrine. God had thundered amen from heaven. It's right there in the passage. They had the scriptures that told of him, but they wanted to question him. What do you mean about the Son of Man being lifted up? The Son of Man is supposed to abide forever. Wanting to contradict the word of God. All you have to do is read the word of God to understand that he was going to be lifted up and die and he was going to rise from the dead and live forever. Right. He did both. But they didn't want to rightly divide the word of truth, which is what God has called us to do when we read scripture, is to rightly divide it. Right. He did both. He was lifted up and lost his life. But he regained his life. He retook his life and lives forever. Amen. He was both. Jesus Christ has two natures. He has a divine nature and he has a human nature. Both are true. Only a fool wants to take one to negate the other. We want both because we want the whole counsel of God, especially as it pertains to his son. These are world-changing events. In the little prophet of Haggai, Haggai was sent from God to tell Zerubbabel the governor of Judah at that time, and Joshua, the high priest at that time, that God was going to shake the heavens and the earth and that the desire of all nations would come. The desire of all nations is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did come to the temple that Haggai was encouraging Zerubbabel to build. The second house, the latter house. There's only two Jewish temples. And the second Jewish temple has been gone for 2,000 years. There will never be another. The temple that exists for 2,000 years is the church of the living God. It is greater than any wood and stone temple that the Jews did build, could build, or ever will build. Because it's the church of God. And our Jerusalem is in heaven, not here on the earth. But there was a shaking of the heavens and the earth. The Old Testament floated away like dust. The beggarly carnal elements of the Old Testament, the ceremonial worship of the Jews disappeared and what was left was the abiding kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. World-changing events. Right. The events first took place in 
Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth, and here we are in an uttermost part of the earth, on the North American continent, in the Piedmont of the Carolinas, far from the Middle East and far from the nation of Israel. But let's get into these verses. We have worked for weeks on verse 31 because of those two transcendent events. Now is the judgment of this world. The world was changed with the death of Jesus Christ. This isn't the final day of judgment. The final day of judgment is yet in the future. This was a judgment that took place with the coming of Christ and his death on the cross. At that time as well, the prince of the world was cast out. Notice the world changing events. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. World-changing events. We come to verse 32. And I, the third event, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ gloriously declares in the first person what he would do. And I, you can leave out what's in commas for a moment to get his clause. And I will draw all men unto me in that 32nd verse. If I be lifted up from the earth is non-restrictive information that is added to what he would do and why he would do it and on what basis he would do it. If he be lifted up from the earth and he was lifted up from the earth as we want to consider today. Jesus was lifted up passively since the Jews demanded it and the Romans executed it. They lifted him up on a cross so that he hung between heaven and earth. But we want, first of all, that he was going to do something with that fact. He was going to draw all men to him. This passage is important to us to understand that this is referring to the Gentiles being converted by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that, because that is the context of the passage here, and that is the great event that brought glory to Jesus Christ. Converting the nation of the Jews, which he failed at. That's the Bible word for it. But God didn't intend for him to accomplish it. The Jews didn't want him, so God blinded the Jews to Jesus Christ. There were only a few Jews that believed on him. But it was the Gentiles that he brought in by the thousands and the millions over the last 2,000 years that brought great glory to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and he as its king. He drew his elect actively to himself by dying, regenerating, and then converting them. Powerful operation of changing the world. For 4,000 years, our ancestors worshipped anything. They worshipped all kinds of things. They worshipped totem poles and they worshipped the sun and the moon. They worshipped made-up gods and they worshipped idols. They worshipped little gods on their mantles. They worshipped all kinds of things and God winked at it for 4,000 years. God let our ancestors live in total darkness and ignorance for 4,000 years. They deserved it. We deserve it. He in grace has saved us from the ignorance and lies and darkness that we deserve and that we asked for in the Garden of Eden. When we chose the devil's lie in the Garden of Eden, we chose lies over truth. We chose the devil over God. We chose darkness over light. We chose ignorance over wisdom. It's terrible what we did. And so God gave it to us for 4,000 years. But then in the days of the apostles... He commanded all men everywhere to repent. He was no longer winking at their wickedness and their religions. Embrace the greatest man in the universe with me that the universe has ever had or ever will have and see his achievement by his death on the cross. This is the seed of the woman God had promised to the devil. I will listen to this about the antithesis. You want to hear the antithesis in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. 
How does the devil have children? They're religious children. And the woman's going to have children. They're religious children. A spiritual seed versus the devil's seed. From the beginning, where did the enmity come from? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, a fatal wound, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that enmity was there. And when we look at these words in verse 32, and I, and I will do something. This is the seed of the woman that had been prophesied for 4,000 years that was now here and was going to do something big. He has brought on the judgment of the world in verse 31. He's cast the devil out of heaven in verse 31. The devil was cast out of heaven 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended into heaven. There wasn't room in heaven for Jesus and the devil. Michael and his angels fought. There was war. And we're at war still. And this war will have a final conclusion and a complete and total victory. And Jesus Christ will be the victor. And we will be the victors with him over all of his enemies, angelic and human. His enemies thought to destroy him and his religion by lifting him up on the cross, but they were very wrong. By being lifted up on the cross, he brought about victory for us and for himself. They conspired with extreme measures to keep all men from going after him, and yet he brought all men to him. Look at chapter 11, where they conspired against him. Just back chapter 11, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, the Jewish leadership realized that if we let him thus alone, John eleven forty eight, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Well, the Romans did come and take away their place and their nation. And all men did believe on him. All the men that God intended to believe on him. Jesus Christ drew them by his cross. His greatest, humili- his greatest humiliation, the death of the cross, led to his great victory. And so it starts with the words, and I... Elijah? Very good. I didn't intend for that. Whoa! I just wanted to say it to you myself. Thank you. That's a good verse. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This is the third event, brethren. It's huge because it's us. It's the Gentiles under consideration, and it's our conversion from worshiping idols to worshiping the true and living God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. Amen. It's glorious. Right. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was lifted up from the earth, according to God's plan, he had taught it in John 3, he had taught it in John 8, that I will be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He taught it in 3. He taught it in 8. He taught it here. And John is going to write and see that when Jesus was sent by the Jews to Pilate, and the Jews said, the Pilate said to the Jews, you put him to death. And they said, we can't. John recognized that that was the fulfillment of these statements that Jesus had to die a crucifixion death. The Romans had to do it. If the Jews had killed Jesus, they would have stoned him to death. If they had stoned him to death, they would have broken bones of him, but a bone couldn't be broken. If they had stoned him to death, he wouldn't have fulfilled the curse of the law because the curse of the law was to hang on a tree. Oh, it's beautiful. And so he was lifted up. But by being lifted up, he changed things for us Gentiles. If I be lifted up from the earth, the Jews tried to stone him repeatedly in chapter 8, in chapter 10, in chapter 11. They tried to stone him, but he didn't let them stone him. Because he was waiting for the right time, and in the fullness of time, he let the Romans crucify him. Jesus didn't die by stoning. He died on the cross, and he needed to die on the cross. Holding your place at John 12, let me just remind you of Galatians chapter 3. A few weeks ago, a very young man in our church stood in this pulpit and preached to you about Jesus Christ 
having cursed the curse of sin by being made a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. God cursed the human race. We chose that curse. It was the curse of death in the Garden of Eden. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is the law of Moses, which just added to our condemnation, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And our Lord Jesus Christ hung on a tree. Do you remember these words from John chapter 3? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, lifted it up on a tree, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life. There it was taught in, as well in John chapter 8. You know, the poor baker, he heard these words, but he didn't understand them at first. Joseph told the butler and the baker, the Lord's going to lift up your heads. The butler found out that he was going to be promoted back to his job and serve Pharaoh's cup again. He was excited. The baker said, goody, goody, tell me about my head being lifted up. Oh, Pharaoh's going to hang you and the birds are going to eat your head while you're hanging there. So I just want to tell you that in the Bible we have this terminology about being lifted up. And it involved the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the Roman cross. He had to die a Roman death, and he did. I want to remind you again about three trees in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden were two trees. And our fathers and our first mother were told that they could freely eat of every tree in the garden. Except one tree. Right. There were two trees. And thousands of trees. The two trees were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our first parents could eat the fruit of the tree of life. That is paradise. That is wonderful. That is good and very good as God said of his creation. But he told our first parents they could not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That in the day they did that, they would surely die. And in the day they did that, they surely died. And they continued to die. And they died physically 930 years later. And unless God has done something the Bible gives us no hint at, Adam and Eve will be in the lake of fire. And they shall die the second death. So they died a threefold death. But there were two trees there. And our first parents ruined our race. By choosing the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is why everyone dies. It is why babies die. It is why unborn children die. It is why we all die. It is the ugliness of death because we ate the fruit off that tree in our first parents. And we lost our right to the tree of life. God put a flaming cherubim at the entrance to the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from ever getting back into the garden so that they could not have the tree of life. But there's a third tree, and that's the cross of Calvary. And if I be lifted up, and it's called the tree. It's called the tree several times in the Bible. It's called the tree in the book of Acts. It's called the tree in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus was put upon a tree and crucified in a Roman tree, a Roman cross. And because of that cross, because of that third tree, the tree of life is open to us in heaven. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's a huge blessing. And so when we think about Jesus being lifted up, let's remember the three trees. Death is terrible. You young people are filled with life. You can't even comprehend death. We take you to funerals and you still don't understand it because foolishness is bound in your hearts and it's there for a good while until you start to realize that things are changing with you and you are approaching that death and then you can see it coming for you. Everything begins to change. I want to remind our young men that your testosterone levels 
are the highest they ever will be at the age of 19. From 19 on, they decline. Human growth hormone that changes you from a child into a man and women from a little girl to a woman disappears. Those hormones that God puts in you for growth, vitality, beauty, formation, sexual vitality disappear because we're all headed for the grave. But the Lord Jesus Christ took death head on and was lifted up on a Roman cross. And that message of the cross preached to the Gentile nations by some Jewish fishermen and by the Apostle Paul and by the men that they ordained brought many Gentiles to believe the greatest story ever told, the greatest message and the greatest news, and that is that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sent his son to die as a substitute on a Roman tree, on a Roman cross, to redeem all his elect. And his elect, he did redeem every single one of them. Because we've already learned that in John chapter 6, where it told us that the Son of God said himself, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will that's important in eternal life. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose none of them, but should raise them up again at the last day. And that message went into all the world after Jesus was lifted up on that cross. I want you to love John 12, 32. Thank you, Elijah, for quoting it to me. Thank you, Elijah's mother, for teaching it to him. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Whether it's God drawing in John chapter 6 or Jesus drawing right here, it succeeds by God's gracious power. God brings it to pass. Jesus didn't say he would try to draw all men. He said he would draw all men. Jesus didn't say he would offer men the opportunity to draw themselves. He said he would draw them. God and Jesus have the life-giving power to draw men. Human means of any kind are worthless to get someone to come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe on him. There are no means that you can even add to the work of Christ. The rich man in hell asked Abraham if he would please send Lazarus from heaven back to his five brothers to tell them to make changes in their lives so that they wouldn't go to hell. But Abraham told him, told the rich man in hell, your brothers have the synagogue and the reading of the scriptures every Sabbath day. Ah, Father Abraham, My brothers don't like to go to church. My brothers have other things to do on the Sabbath day. They don't really get into the reading of the scripture. They like the praise band and they like the church softball team, but they don't really want to hear the scriptures. What can I do for them? Well, rich man, if they won't hear the scriptures, then it wouldn't matter to them if I sent someone back from the dead. We can't add to it. Jesus will draw every one that he intends to draw. And so he did. And so he said he would here in our precious text. We should not limit this drawing to his reconciliation, that's his legal work, or regeneration, his vital work. Do not let me confuse you by having to deal with a couple of soteriological issues here. We are not fatalists. So when we read this passage, we are not going to leap to the fact that Jesus will draw all men unto him and limit it to his justifying, redemptive work of a legal sort on the cross. The cross will just initiate the event. What he would do after the cross, just like the other two events, are of a practical nature. I have many points that I could make here, but I do not want to distract you. We are not going to be fatalists in this church. The context is Greeks coming to Jesus. 
It's not Greeks being justified, nor Greeks being regenerated. It's not the legal work or the vital work. It's the practical phase of salvation, and that is Greeks being converted. Would you like to read the next verses? How about if we read verses 34 through 36? Do I need to read them to you again? Because we're going to get to them, the Lord willing. Do you remember what it's about? While you have the light, walk in the light. Follow the light. It's conversion that's under consideration here. And the great change that took place and the great change that Jesus Christ was glorified by was the conversion of the Gentiles. Jesus dying for Gentiles is taught in other places. Jesus regenerating Gentiles is taught in other places. Here, we want the context to drive what brought great glory to Jesus Christ. And that was the conversion of the Gentiles. Let me say it to you again. I think it's 1,117 times. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified the spirit, seen of angels, provided the legal way of salvation, provided the vital way of salvation, received up into glory. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God was manifest in the flesh, justified the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, Amen. believed on in the world, Amen. received up into glory. We are talking about practical changes in the world. Now is the judgment of this world. It wasn't legal. It wasn't vital. It was practical. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. It wasn't legal. It wasn't vital. It was practical. There was a practical moving of Satan geographically from heaven to earth. Oh, there's so many other points. Look at, look at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Verse 21, John chapter 12, The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. They had been drawn to Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. This is the context. This is the drawing of Gentiles. This is just a small little token of what was going to happen with many Gentiles believing on Jesus Christ, more so than the Jews in their seriousness about it, and far more so in the new numbers of it. And I'm hoping that you can remember what I gave to you 10 days ago from Isaiah 49, that Jesus failed in recovering Jacob and the nation of Israel to God, and it would have been a light thing if he had done it anyway, because the number of the Gentiles that he brought to God far exceeded the nation of Israel, and that gave him glory. Right. You are the glorious fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you better believe on him today and walk in his light. Right. He does not owe you light for the rest of your life. He can take his light away from you. Amen. Because he disappeared after a couple of days. He said, while you have the light, walk in the light. And so right now I'm trying to share with you the light that the God Jehovah, creator of the heavens and the earth, sent his son that died at a Roman cross. And you should fall at the feet of that cross and own him as Lord and obey him in your life and believe that he is the son of God and that he is sitting at the right hand of God right now and is coming for us. He is our risen and our reigning and our returning Lord Jesus Christ. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We want to look at the fact that he'll draw. And we don't, want to, we don't want to just limit that to his drawing in justification, which really doesn't even fit, or his drawing in regeneration. We want to look at his drawing in changing men's lives by them being converted from idolatry to worship the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus had earlier described being lifted up. And what was it attached to? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever is justified, that whosoever is born again, that whosoever believeth on him. Please grasp this with me and do not let fatalists steal these passages from us. What do I mean by a fatalist? They would limit this to the legal work of Christ of justification 
or the vital work of Christ of regeneration in order to neglect, dilute, postpone, put off the conversion of God's elect. So they end up with all these unconverted elect running around the planet. But that's not what Jesus said. That's no great accomplishment. How about bringing idol-worshiping Gentiles to fall at the feet of the cross? Now that's an accomplishment. Amen. And Jesus did it. Remember, do I need to... This is 1,118. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Because we're talking about world-changing events right here. You say, do you have more evidence? Well, I've shown you the context before. I've shown you the context after. Do you want to jump to chapter 16 and look at verses 7 through 11, where it says that the Holy Spirit of God, when he would be sent 50 days hence, would reprove the world. Not justify, not regenerate, but reprove through preaching. Reprove the world of sin, reprove the world of righteousness, and reprove the world because of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged there in John chapter 16. Jesus is the prophesied Shiloh of Judah to gather all God's people together. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is lying on his deathbed. His 12 sons are standing around his deathbed. And he starts at the oldest with Reuben and works his way all the way down to Benjamin and gives them a prophecy of their descendants, of their tribe in Israel. And he gets to Judah, and he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah's going to be the reigning tribe, though he's the fourth son. He's the reigning tribe until Shiloh come. And Shiloh is the Lord Jesus Christ, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Amen. Jesus came to gather the people of God together. And the great accomplishment is not gathering a few Jews. Again, I remind you of Isaiah 49. It's not a few Jews it's so many Gentiles. Right. To him shall the gathering of the people be. Now if you'll drop back two chapters to John chapter 10, we can find Jesus Christ claiming that work for himself, referring to Gentiles. John chapter 10 and verse 16. And other sheep I have. Let's get verse 15. Let's get verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Right. Am known of mine am known of mine. That's practical. Verse 15, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Gentiles, that were not part of the nation of Israel, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jump over to verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay, back to John chapter 12. We're not going to be fatalists here. The mystery of the New Testament. The mystery. There's lots of mysteries. The mystery of the New Testament, according to Paul, is in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, that God would break down the wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles and bring in all these Gentiles that had been aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no right to the worship of God. They had no right to the inheritance of God. They had no right to the promises of God until brought in by the cross of Christ. It was the cross of Jesus Christ that nailed the ceremonial law of Moses to the cross, opening up the way for Gentiles to be converted, and through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Amen. Jesus Christ's cross did it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And if you go read that tremendous event, do you know what our ancestors were like? You don't want to know. Our ancestors were twisted, corrupt, perverse people that worshipped all kinds of substitutes, but they did not worship the living and true God of heaven. But what a change God made yes. through Jesus Christ and Him being lifted up and sending out that message of the cross. Did Jesus say that he was going to take his kingdom away from the Jews and give it to the Gentiles? Matthew 21. Did Jesus say that many are going to come from the east and the west and they are going to sit down with Abraham and the fathers in the kingdom of God? Amen. Here we are. 
were actually the seed of Abraham. According to Galatians chapter 3, the real seed of Abraham, the Israel of God of Galatians chapter 6, if I'd have read you two more verses. The Israel of God, here we are. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. The conversion of Gentiles by the preaching of the cross of Christ is very much emphasized because while he was on earth, he was a minister of the circumcision, meaning he preached only to Jews. You say, what about the Samaritans? Well, they were half Jews. He said he was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sent his apostles out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. The context here tells us it's Greeks. The context here is believing, verses 34 through 36. Look at verse 37 of John chapter 12, right here. What are we talking about? What is the issue at stake and what happened? Why the breakdown in Israel and yet there were going to be so many more? Verse 37, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And yet without so many miracles, initially there were miracles, but yet without very many miracles, have Gentiles believed on Jesus Christ for 2,000 years? Yes, they have. I will draw all men unto me. Let's go to John chapter 6. I'm just, I, I want to get off this point. I, I am, it's frustrating to have to spend so much time undoing false doctrine that many of us were taught. But I do not want our children to grow up with a twisted view of Scripture. Right. And that is to cop out and run to the legal phase, the vital phase, on almost every passage of Scripture. Because the emphasis of the Bible is practical. Right, right. By far, the way to your emphasis is practical. It's always pressing obedience. Whether it's Adam in Eden, or Abel after Eden, or the days of Noah, it's obedience and godliness and, and, and following God and walking uprightly, and walking with God, from beginning to end. He that overcometh, will I do this and that for. Right. In the book of Revelation, John 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And I have taught you plainly what that coming is, that is believing on him. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's running to Christ as your Lord and your Redeemer, and casting your soul upon Him. It says in verse 40, And this is the will of Him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. Yes, I've already quoted to you verses 38 and 39, but we can't neglect verse 40. Verse 40 is there. It should result in conversion. Verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. I will draw all men unto me. From numerous evidences, numerous aspects of context, the greatest event of the New Testament, what is truly incontrovertibly great about the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was preached to Gentiles. Because that's the emphasis of the Bible. And believed on in the world. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. It was shocking to the Jews. This information that he gave them was shocking. They were nervous when they brought those Greeks. Greeks wanting to see Jesus. Right. Greeks wanting to have an audience with Jesus. Jesus' immediate response was, the hour has come, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Thinking of Greeks, the great glory of Jesus Christ is just about to be broken open in the world. And that was for the, the blind, dark, Gentile ancestors of ours and of us, believing on Jesus Christ. Right. It was shocking to the Jews. But Jesus went on, and I, see, I, did, I didn't refer you to the whole passage. We've worked our way to verse 32. You should remember everything that's gone before. Until a seed is put in the ground, it abides alone. But if a seed is put in the ground and that seed dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. There was not much fruit in Israel. The much fruit was among the Gentiles. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It was shocking to the Jews. 
Peter, when he went and preached to Cornelius, had to answer for it in Jerusalem shortly thereafter. And it's in Acts chapter 11. And after they heard Peter describe what had happened to the household of Cornelius, a household of Gentiles, he, can, he concludes in verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, that's the gift of the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues, to encourage Peter to baptize them, because Peter wouldn't have baptized them without a little bit of hand-holding from God. Right. That's why he had the vision up on the rooftop of a sheep coming down with all sorts of animals in it, and God saying, rise and eat, unclean animals. Because Peter needed a little encouragement. This was shocking for the Jews. They were the most nationalistic-minded people you've ever, believed, ever known, and rightly so, because God had known them only of all the nations of the earth. Forasmuch then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, that I could withstand God? So I went ahead and baptized them. When they heard these things, these are the men in Jerusalem, the Jews, they held their peace, they did not argue with Peter, they did not condemn him, and glorified God. Remember, Father, glorify thy name. How's he going to glorify his name? Gentiles believing on him. Right. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Repentance, the evidence of everlasting life. Repentance, the ability to escape the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. God has made a huge change, and we only had to read to Acts chapter 11 to run into it. Turn back to Jeremiah 16. Just got to share a nice little verse with you. Jeremiah 16. Conversion of the Gentiles by the preaching of the cross of Christ is huge. Huge. This is how bad we were as Gentiles. Jeremiah 16 and verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods? <laughs> Amen. That's what I'm saying to you. That's what I'm saying about your relatives. That's what I'm saying about your mama. A long time ago. And what we worshipped as Gentiles, it was ridiculous. We'd make some little thing and call it our God. You know Isaiah 44 made fun of the man who had a tree. He used one third of it to bake his food, one third of it to get warm. And yeah, the Lord knocks it. Ah, it's in the Bible. A-A-H-A. Ah, I have seen the fire. Oh, it feels so good. And then you have a third of the tree left over, and you carve yourself a god and fall down to it and ask it to save you. Our relatives. Amen. That's right. This was huge. And so those elders and apostles in Jerusalem are listening to Peter talk about God gave them the same gift as he gave us. What was I? Was I going to fight against God? They're all speaking in tongues. That's the same thing that happened to us in the day of Pentecost. I baptized them. What are you going to do about it? They didn't do anything about it except glorified God. Then God's granted repentance to Gentiles. Look at Acts chapter 15, when they had the great council of Jerusalem about the same issue. This is huge. I'm tying as many scriptures as I can together, and I do not want our young people to become fatalists. A fatalist is someone who looks at all these verses of Scripture and turns them into the legal phase of salvation or the vital phase of salvation to get away from the emphasis in the Bible on the practical phase of salvation, which is conversion and repentance and obedience and a changed life. Because that's the emphasis of the Bible. Right. Paul would. It doesn't matter where you turn in the Bible. That's going to be the emphasis. It's understood, but of little practical value that we have to be elect, justified, and regenerated to believe. It's understood. It's preached plainly enough in enough places for us to know that. But after you've read it a time or two, it's of little practical value for you right. because it's all moving toward one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Repent of your sins. Be an overcomer and live for him who died for you. 
We want the crown of the road, brethren, and we want to hate both ditches equally because they're both equally wicked. Except if you, were to, if you were to ask me, is there one ditch that's better than the others? I would tell you that the Arminian ditch is better than the fatalist ditch. They're both another Jesus. They're both wrong. I didn't say either one was right. That's right. Acts 15 and verse 9. Peter gets up and tells the same story all over again. Why did he have to tell it all over again? Because the Jews couldn't believe it. It was, it was causing upheaval in the church at Jerusalem. So he tells it. He starts in uh, verse 7. Peter says, God made choice by me. And he gave them the Holy Ghost. He tells it just the way he did before. Except now he gives them the conclusion in verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. What showed that these people, Cornelius's family, were God's children? By the faith that they showed. Okay, back to John chapter 12. I hate doing what I just did. You have no idea how much I hate doing what I just did. I could turn you to passage after passage that says that when, when you draw men after something or someone, it's discipleship. Right. I will draw all men unto me. Men being drawn to false teachers in Acts chapter 5, false teachers in Acts chapter 20, drawn and not drawing back unto perdition. It's following. Right. It's what right. Jesus is. What? Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. It's about discipleship. And how in the world are we going to get Gentiles being disciples of Jesus Christ? By the cross. Yes. And what he accomplished on the cross. Which brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which you were to have read last evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, powerful verses here. Powerful verses. Oh, I hope you read them carefully. I've preached through them before. I know it's been a long time. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Amen. What a difference. One group of men the thesis of the world, the position of the world, the philosophy of the world, Jesus Christ crucified, foolish. Right. Another group of people, that is the power of God. Amen. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. Embrace the greatest man in the universe with me today who hung on a Roman cross and was sent by God and see in him the power and wisdom of God. The power of God to convert Gentiles. The power of God to save. The wisdom of God to design a plan of salvation. To hold it in abeyance for 4,000 years. Then to unleash it in the world through fishermen and the Apostle Paul. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The wicked world that is going to hell considers the preaching of the cross a foolish, worthless thing. But unto us which are saved... It is not what saves us eternally because you're already saved eternally to recognize in it the power of God. And it goes on to say that God's going to make a mockery out of the wisdom of this world in verses 19 and 20. It tells us in verse 21 that he knew that the world would never figure him out. And Gentiles would never figure him out unless he sent them an acid test. And the acid test is the preaching of the cross all over again. Verse 22, after God did a market survey in verse 21, and the market survey found out that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God to send something with that knowledge of the world's markets. For the Jews require a sign. All the Jews wanted to see was more and more miracles. They said of Jesus, if you're the son of God, show us a miracle. He had performed miracles his whole ministry. Right. The Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greek philosophers, those descendants of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and the others of Athens, Greece, they wanted something that was worldly wise, that would tickle their fancy because they loved nothing better than to stand around and to hear new things. Yes. Unbelievable. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. 
That was the problem of the world. The whole world. Jewish world, Greek world. We're not even talking about the barbarians that were falling down to totem poles and, and child sacrifice, which the Greeks had given up. But we preach Christ crucified in verse 23. God, in his market survey, found in verse 22, the Jews wanted more miracles. The Greeks wanted something that would tickle their intellect. But we, but, in opposition to that, not catering to that, the antithesis of that, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. It offends the Jews, it offends the Greeks. They will not believe it. But, another disjunctive, unto them which are called, those that are chosen and prepared and whose hearts are open and repentance is granted by God Almighty, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. They hear the preaching of the cross and they say, that is the wisest design plan of salvation there could be. That is the most powerful display of salvation there could be. A virgin birth, a resurrection from the dead, that's power. The wisdom of it all. What a difference. What a difference. And that difference was Jesus was lifted up on a cross. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will be lifted up from the earth. But if I am, I will draw all men unto me. And we know that the all can't mean all men without exception. There's no one in hell since the year 30 A.D. We know that it's all kinds of men of his elect in all nations of the earth. So that when we come to Revelation 5, it says that there were men, an innumerable company of saved that are out of, not all, but out of every nation, out of every language, out of, out of, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. All of God's elect with the emphasis on the Gentiles. All men are going to come to me. These Greeks are just a few. You wait until I judge the world and I send my gospel out and I throw the devil down and I restrain his power from deceiving the nations. Isn't that what we learned? My gospel is going to go forth and though my gospel is going to be an acid test, that the majority of men will reject as a stumbling block and as foolishness. I have my people out there that will rejoice in it as the power and wisdom of God on display. And here we are. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.